Just before the message this morning, let me share some thoughts that are heavy on my heart. Their names were Angelo Michelle Carr, age 52, Anult Joseph, AJ for short, LaGreer Jr., 19 years old, and 29-year-old Gerald Deshaun Gallion, all three murdered while being black in America. My heart aches even more every time I hear about innocent people who looks like me and my family being murdered just because of their God-given skin color. Innocent individuals just going about their day. I do not know how to stop such brutal, evil acts. For if I did, I would act immediately to stop it. But I do know this, the more of us who do everything we can to represent the genuine love of Christ in this world, the better off our society will be. Lord, in the name of Jesus, help us. We need you. We need you. Thank you again for that reading, Brad. In times such as these, how do we prepare for death? How do we prepare for the time in which we will meet our maker? We live in a time which we are continuously involved in preparation for many other things. When we set the alarm clock the night before, we are preparing for the next day. When we remove frozen meat from the refrigerator, in order that it may thaw out, we are preparing for the next meal. When we start a new job and we study the new procedures in order that we may perform that job well, thus remaining employed, able to meet the financial demands to support our physical needs. The athlete spends hours after hour preparing and preparing in order that he or she may be, may be victorious in the sports arena. The violinist practice session at the practice session in order to perform well in the concert hall. Are you with me? Can you begin to see what I'm talking about? There is a need to prepare. When we put money into a savings account, invest in stocks and bonds, we are preparing for a better future. Many of us, when the workday is done, will spend many hours involved in continuing education programs in hopes of a better future. I believe that the evidence is clear 
We spend much of our time simply preparing for the task we wish to accomplish. For we must prepare. No one will ever argue with that. No one will ever argue with parents who say to their children, study hard and do well in school so that you may acquire a good job and live a good life. No one will ever argue with the fact that we must take care of our physical needs. Even the homeless, the beggar on the streets finds a way to take care of his or her physical needs. May not be according to our standards, but they do. You see, if we fail to take care of physical needs, we die physically. But preparing to take care of physical needs is not the question, because we're going to do that. However, these physical things are not the problem. In fact, there are many public organizations who provide aid and provide help. We have a food pantry here in our congregation we are willing to share and feed the hungry and help people out when it comes to physical needs. But the problem is, or the question I want to put before us today is this. Are you preparing for the second coming of Jesus Christ? For someday, the Lord will return. Now, this is the most serious preparation that one could do. In life, we can recover from many mistakes due to lack of preparation. But when our life has come to the end of the road, there will be no further preparation. I invite your attention again to the book of Matthew, chapter 25, that Brad read into our hearing. And I'm not going to read it. We've had a lot of activities going on this morning. You just heard it a little bit ago. So let me just move on and make my points, and then we'll, we'll call the message yours. This portion of scripture that was read into our hearing is often referred to as the parable of the ten virgins. Our Lord taught many lessons to his disciples by way of parables, using the familiar to teach the unfamiliar an earthly example for a heavenly meeting, if you will. This is a lesson to be learned in the, in the study of this parable. This is the lesson that I want to share with you this morning because it gives us a picture of what will it be like at the end of the world. Some of us live our lives as if the world will stand forever. But just as Christ foretold the destruction of Jerusalem in Matthew 24, when he said to his disciples, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be torn down. Likewise, there is coming a time when the world, as we know it, will one day be destroyed. However, there's good news. There is good news, and that good news is that Christ is coming back to redeem his church. That is those who have and who are now preparing for the second coming of Jesus Christ. But why prepare? 
because we must be ready. For the Bible says that the Son of Man will come as an hour that you know not, and that when you do not expect him, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 44. So if you don't know when he's coming, that means you have to prepare and you have to be ready. You don't have a point in time where you could say, I can live how I want to right now. I can do whatever I want to do. And when it becomes 2027 on the 7th of July, I got to be ready because that's when he's coming. We don't know that. We will never know that. But we must be ready. We must be ready. Are you preparing for the second coming of Jesus Christ? For one day, the Lord will return. As I look at this text, the Bible says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven would be like ten virgins who took their lambs and went out to meet the bridegroom. The foolish ones took their lambs but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in their jars along with their lambs. Now, I want you to keep several points in mind as it relates to this text. The kingdom in this text represents the church. The bridegroom represents Jesus Christ, our Savior. The ten virgins represent those who have obeyed the gospel of Christ, members of the Lord's church. The coming of the bridegroom represents the second coming of Jesus Christ when he will come back to take his church with him. Now some may reason, well, if Christ is coming back, why did he leave in the first place? This is a typical feeble-minded, humanistic question or point of view. But we must realize that this is the spiritual matter that we're talking about here. This is a spiritual matter that we're dealing with here. This is a spiritual matter that determines our place, our destiny in eternity. In fact, everything that Christ did and that he does has a spiritual intent has a spiritual purpose, has a spiritual meaning, and was and is the spiritual will of God. Amen? This portion of scripture makes that clear. So why did he leave? And why is he coming back? For the Bible says, John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, let not your heart be troubled. A passage of scripture that we often refer to in times of bereavement, in times of funeral services. For the Bible says, in my father's house, this is Jesus speaking, are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you unto myself. That where I am. You may be also. So he's coming back, church. He's coming back. Church, we don't know when he's coming, but surely he's coming. Can we be sure? Well, of course we can. For the Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 1 and verse number 11, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? 
the same Jesus who you have been, who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go. Mark 13, 32 says, no one knows about that day or the hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor Jesus Christ, the Son of Man himself, but only the Father. But be on guard and be alert, for we do not know when that time will come. But are you preparing for the second coming of Christ? For surely one day he will return. In verse number five of the parable, we find that the bridegroom was a long time in coming. Remember that the bridegroom represents Christ. Well, Christ, why is your coming or why is your return being delayed? For the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9, that the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but long-suffering to us, word, not willing, church, not willing, church, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'm thankful that the Lord gives us enough time to make some decisions about our final destination. I am thankful that he is saying, I created you, I made you, I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I want to give you time to figure it out before I come by. Because I'm not willing that you should perish. Jesus died for us because he loved us. And he waits for us to turn from our sins because he still loves us. Church, what we need to do is encourage one another, all men, women, boys, and girls, to open up their hearts and accept the word of God and prepare for the second coming of Jesus Christ for one day he will return. The parable says that there were ten virgins. Five were wise and five were foolish. In this parable, these ten virgins represent the church. Now, that would mean that some of us are wise and some of us are, well, I'm just saying what the Bible says. Now, I'm not calling anybody foolish. I will not do that. But I will say this. The difference between the wise and the foolish versions was in the preparation they had made for the arrival of the bridegroom. So those that were wise had all that they took with their lambs. And those that were foolish had lambs but no oil. If you're going to burn the lamp, you've got to have some oil. Without the oil, it's just the lamp. Sit it on a table and look at it. It may look good, but it can't give you light. And those who are going to go back with the bridegroom must have the light to guide the way. The foolish virgins were careless. They represent those who make little or no preparations for the second coming of the Lord. They took it for granted that 
they had made sufficient preparation. Maybe they were under the impression that, well, I've been baptized. That's enough. Or maybe they had the thought that I attend worship service on Sunday, and that's what I do. Well, well, well that's enough. I studied the Bible even. I read. Why, surely that's enough. Maybe they were under the impression that it's all right to follow Christ from a distance. That is, to have him in our lives only when we want him. When our hearts are heavy, when we're in trouble, our minds are troubled, we have him. Otherwise, we don't need him so long as we're happy and everything is going all right. But I got news for you. We need it. We need him continuously. When 7-Eleven opened, they had a commercial, 7-Eleven. Seven days a week, open and start at 7 in the morning and close at 11 o'clock at night. So you still will miss some of the hours. But when it comes to a relationship with Jesus Christ, it has to be a standing tall relationship that lasts 24-7. Because we need him. We need him when things are going well. And we surely need him when things are difficult and tough. We need him. If we are going to follow Jesus, then we must remain with him at all times. Because he is the light of our life. And we cannot live in the light and in the darkness at the same time. It doesn't work. Light and darkness cannot occupy the same space at the same time. Either it's going to be dark or it's going to be light. So I want you to know this morning that following Jesus Christ afar off is just not enough oil for your lamb. Once we are with Jesus, we must plant our feet in the presence of the Savior, striving to be obedient to his every command. Verse number six of the text, as I kind of hasten to a close here, we find that it is at an unexpected time that the bridegroom came. It is at an unexpected time that Christ will come or that death will overtake us. When either of these situations occur, church, listen to me now, it is too late. It is too late. It is too late to make any further preparation. Too late to make any further preparation. For any preparing for our eternal destination. You can cry out for help, as the foolish virgins did in verse number 8 of the text. But no one can come to your rescue or will be able to come to your rescue. You see, what you do for yourself right now in this life is what will count for you in the end. Salvation is an individual thing. There's a class that's going on that John Mintz is teaching, talking about death and what happens and the various 
transition places and all of these things. Very exciting class. He's doing a great job. And, and generating a lot of discussion about debt. And there's a passage we read this morning that talk about all of our deeds will be opened during the judgment. But then that passage of scriptures end with this. If the name, your name, is not in the book of life, that eternal destination will not be for you. But, friends and family, oh, we love them, and maybe they can point us into the right direction for salvation, but we must obey the glorious gospel of Christ for ourselves. Each of us is writing our own story. Each of us is having our own deeds recorded. And each of us who are in the book of life will have eternal life in that place that Christ said, I go to prepare for you that where I am, you may come also. Verse 10 lets us know that one day <clears throat> the door will be shut. And all who are not ready will not be able to enjoy that great feast of eternal bliss in heaven. The foolish virgins were not ready when the bridegroom came. Sure, when they heard of his coming, they tried to make things right by going after their, some all for their lambs. Yet, they had good intentions, like many of us today. But good intentions are not enough oil to keep the light of your lamp burning. Church, the door will be shut to all at death or the return of Christ, whichever comes first. Now, some will be left on the outside. And I want to tell you this morning that all who obey not the gospel of Christ will be left on the outside. For the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 17, for the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of Christ? And if the righteous, that is when we do everything that we know how to do with the best intention, the best of our ability, trying to follow the Lord, having a personal ministry, and working and serving as the light of the world that Christ has called us to be. When we do all of that, Peter says, you will be scarcely saved. We just barely make it when we do all of that. So really, the salvation is really about the grace of God. In other words, if church folk can barely make it, there is no hope, not a chance, that the ungodly will be saved contrary to popular belief. Yes, Christ has paid the price so that we might live, but we must believe, accept, and live according to his gospel to receive the glorious gift of salvation. It will not just happen. You have to play a part in that matter. So prepare, for one day the Lord is coming back. Will you be ready? Because the Son of Man will come at the hour we do not expect him. The message is yours. Apply it to your own hearts. If you're not a Christian, be one today by faith in Jesus.